0: The Lord, in the days prior to Acts, we know that he had been ministering to the disciples and telling them of what was going to take place. Telling them that he was going to be betrayed. Telling them that he was going to be arrested. Telling them that he was going to be crucified. And then he'd rise again on the third day. And then he rises again from the dead and the people... See him, the disciples, all of the women, over 500 people at one time seeing the risen Lord. And you gotta think the emotion that was there within these people. Those that had seen him be crucified and now he's risen again from the dead. and, And in the beginning of the book of Acts, you see it go from the resurrection to the ascension and you find what the church is doing at the very earliest stages a baby church a church that's just been birthed and now we are diving in to see what is God doing in the church what is the Holy Spirit doing as he works through the disciples and through those that are are Christians those that are following Christ those that are here in the gospel and we see the Lord work in just incredible ways. I was blessed this morning in that I woke up and and at some point in the morning I I saw a post that somebody from our church had written, a young lady from our church had written. and I read it and it, it was just given to whoever of her friends would want to read this. But it said, it said this, it said, it was prophesied thousands of years before Jesus was born that he'd be born in Bethlehem and that he would die on a cross and rise on the third day. There are over 300 prophecies in the Bible that came true. Jesus is who he said he was. He is why he died on the cross He is God. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Only through Jesus will you be with our Father in heaven. The good news is that God so loved the world that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. There is more there. Um, There's not one good person, the Bible says. All have fallen short of the glory of God. He says it is not what we do because apart from him we could do nothing and our deeds are like filthy rags but it is what he's done. He died on the cross to forgive you for all your sins. He died so that none should perish but have eternal life. He gives you the gift of amazing grace, undeserving grace. He loves you. He formed you in your mother's womb. If you call on his name, you shall be saved. He promises it. He always and he always always keeps his promises. He's always faithful. God is love. He not only gives you life, but life more abundantly. I don't mean materially. I mean he gives joy in our sorrows, peace in uncertainty, perfect love that cast out fear, wisdom and understanding and hope because we are certain that we always have our Heavenly Father, our Creator, and our God with us. The Bible says, if God is with us, who could be against us? Of course, we will suffer trials, but Knowing God's promises are true. I know that, I know those things are nothing compared to the hope we have in Christ. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Love you all, friends and family, and I thank God for you all in my life. Just posted this morning, or last night, and I read that and I thought, the same Holy Spirit that works in somebody to say, like, boldly proclaim the gospel and just put it out there and say like we all sin we all fall short here is the grace of God this is what he's done this is what you must do to believe upon him and this message that goes forward and went forward to whoever it went forward to in the last half a day the same enthusiasm that would have somebody write something like that and say like this is what God's done. Here's the prophecies that were given. This is what God accomplished. This is what his salvation means for us. His work on the cross, this is what it means for us. Is a lot of what was taking place in the early part of the book of Acts. People there sitting together as a church. People there sitting together as believers. They have seen him. They know that he died. They know that he was buried. They know that he rose again. They've seen him ascend into heaven. They've watched God work in incredible ways and they've been taught by him. He spent all of those days with them while he was in his ministry. And then after he rose again from the dead, all of those days with them, teaching them scripture the holy spirit's making his word come alive to them to where they're hearing oh this is when that said it it said it there that that would take place and we see it taking place and and they are able to see that god had a plan all throughout it and it's clicking they're there together and they are worshiping him and worshiping him and worshiping him and reading his word and ministering to one another and caring for one another and they're All there together. And we come to to Acts chapter 1 and verse 12, and we see this group of people all together. Let's read it together. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey. And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying. So here's this group of people. They've gone to Jerusalem from the Mount called Olivet, a Sabbath day journey, which is um, 2,000 cubits, the distance that they were allowed to walk on the Sabbath. They've, They've now walked back to Jerusalem. And they go to the upper room. Now, it's a good chance that this is the same upper room in which the Lord had previously met with the disciples. But they're in this upper room where they were staying, Peter, James, John, and Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, the zealot, and Judas, the son of James. They're all together. And it tells us they all continued with one accord in prayer, in supplication, with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Here's the picture that's before us. He has risen again from the dead. He has ascended. The church, these people that are listed here have all come together, and we'll find that there's more with them. It tells us just after that, in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples. Altogether, the number of the names was about 120. So they're in this upper room. They're in this room within this home, an upper room where people would gather. And there's 120 of them. Approximately 120. Now we know that that there's more believers outside of that particular region. But at this time, there's 120 that get together. And what are they doing? They all continued, so they're continually doing this with one accord in prayer and supplication. They're all together as this group of believers. Such a precious thing when you think of the church. We're, we're in one accord. We're together. We're one in Christ. Galatians 3.26 says, for you, all, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. For all are one in Christ Jesus. And so you see them all together. It doesn't matter who were disciples. It doesn't matter who were the women. It doesn't matter who were the men. It doesn't matter who was wealthy and who was poor. It doesn't matter what kind of job that they had. It doesn't matter whether they denied Christ three times or not. They, they are all together in one accord. They're together. There's a group of, of people in Anything that would have separated them has been removed to where there's this unity that is there between them that is closer than any family can be, closer than than any hobby can create, closer than any political movement can create. They are together as the body of Christ. And it tells us specifically that there's the women that are there. And Mary, the mother of Jesus, she's there. Mary, the mother of Jesus, is there. It's the last time that she's mentioned in Scripture. And you notice that she's just mentioned. Yeah, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, was there with them as well. She's never to be worshipped. She's never to be prayed to. She's never to be exalted to a role of co-redemptics with Christ. We find that she herself counted accounted herself in need of a, of a savior. You remember in, in Luke chapter 1 where Mary says in verse 46, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my savior. In God my savior. For he's regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name and his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. And she is upon, amongst those who fear him. She's amongst those that, that rejoiced in God, her savior. She needed a savior. And so she's mentioned here as well as the brothers of Jesus. You remember the brothers of Jesus in the gospel of John had, had denied him. And yet now we find that they've come to salvation. They're there in the midst of this 120 as well as the mother of Jesus. And they're, and they're praying together. We get glimpses of, of what the church is doing when they're there meeting, they're, they're praying. In Acts chapter two and verse 42, it, it, it tells us that the church Continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. This is what they did together. Doctrine. Fellowship. Breaking of bread. And praying together. They were praying. It tells us that that fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. All who believed were together. They had all things in common. They sold their possessions and goods. They divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple. You, you find that, that, that oneness daily together They were breaking bread from house to house. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. They were praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. We see a work of the Holy Spirit, a work of God in the midst of his people as there's this oneness that's there, this unity that's there, and this studying his word, being in fellowship, eating together, and praying together together. Specifically, prayer. All throughout the book of Acts, you're going to find, and they prayed, and they prayed, and they prayed. You'll find it all throughout the book of Acts. you find it all throughout Scripture, prayers that are given. But specifically in the book of Acts, you find that they were praying. In Acts chapter 4 and in verse 31, it says, and when they had prayed, The place where they were assembled together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. God was working in this group of people. But they knew that they had a dependence upon him. They knew that they needed him. They knew that they needed to communicate with him. And what we find is that God was doing a radical work in them. they were praying and when they had prayed they spoke the word of God with boldness you, you, you find in, in Acts chapter 12 that Herod the king we're told stretched out his hand to harass some from the church and then he kills James the brother of John with a sword so James is one of the people that's mentioned here in, in, uh, in this, this upper room as, as they're there. But in chapter 12, we're told that they killed him. But then it tells us that he took Peter also. And when he had arrested him, he, he put him in prison and delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him intending to to bring him before the people after Passover. Peter, therefore, was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. Peter gets arrested. James has been killed. But constant prayer was offered to God for him. Constant prayer was offered to God for him, by the church. So what happens? Well it says when Herod was about to bring him out that night, Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains between, the, between two soldiers, and the guards before the door were, were keeping the prison. Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, and a light shone in the prison, and he struck Peter on the side. And raised him up, saying, "Arise quickly!" And his chains fell off his hands. We we see God just doing incredible things. He's got these squads of soldiers that are guarding him. Herod's now bringing Peter out, and God just has this angel come down and shines in there and strikes Peter on the side and raises him up and makes the chains just fall off. There's a reason why we are to be people who pray. If we ever think that God is not able to answer prayers, look at the book of Acts. You're going to find it over and over again. And they prayed, and they prayed, and they prayed. They continued in prayer. The church all prayed together. And this is what God did. He made chains fall off. In chapter 16 of the book of Acts, you see Paul and Silas, and it says at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying It's midnight, and they're praying. And they're singing hymns to God. It's not just prayer, but they're they're praying, and they're singing. It's midnight, and here these guys are, and they're in prison, and they're praying, and they're singing hymns together. It's the church, the very beginning of the church, and they get thrown in prison, and they just, let's pray. It's midnight, but let's pray, and let's sing. And so they're doing that. And it says, and the prisoners were listening to them. Then there was a great earthquake. So the foundation of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were open, and everyone's chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul cried with a loud voice, saying, Do yourself no harm, for we are all here. And then he called for a light and ran in and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And so he said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved and your household. And what happens? He believes and his household believes. God makes the chains fall off, not for them to escape this time. But specifically, so that this particular guard, who is about ready to kill himself, everything changes for him to where he sees the love of these disciples. He sees what who who they are and and that their message is real. And God does this radical work in this man's heart as well as in the hearts of his entire household. And we see multiple people come to know Christ. How does it begin? They were praying. They were walking in the spirit. They were singing songs together and God was going to do something tremendous. We find it in scripture over and over again where the church is praying. In Romans 12, it tells us that they were continuing steadfastly in prayer continuing steadfastly in prayer. He tells them, be kindly affectionate to one another with all brotherly love, in honor giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, giving hospitality. A steadfastness in prayer, calling upon them to pray. In Colossians chapter four and verse two, it says, continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in chains, Paul says. Earnestly in prayer, vigilant in thanksgiving. Boldness that the the message would go forward, Paul tells those in, in Philippine in chapter four verse six, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your request known to god they 're called to be a people who pray. I bring this up because We want to see God do great things, don't we? We want to see people come to know Christ, don't we? We want to see revival within the church. We want to see our kids in love with Christ. We want to see people treasuring Christ more than the stuff of this world. We want people growing in their knowledge of God. You find prayer after prayer in scripture given. And the things that the church are praying for are things like that our love for one another would abound. So they're just praying for that, that that the love for one another would abound, that it would just be overflowing. They're praying for things like that you and I would approve of the things that are excellent. That we'd go after those things, those things that are excellent, not the things that are of this world. That we'd be holy. That we would be filled with fruits of righteousness. That we'd have wisdom and understanding. That our eyes would be open. That we'd know the hope of his calling. That we would know the riches of of the glory of his inheritance, that we would understand the greatness of his power. These are the kind of things that we are to pray for. The people, one another, would love each other, that we know the greatness of God's power, that we know the greatness of God, that God would open up hearts and bring people to salvation. You find it in the book of Acts, where over and over and over and over again, they are praying and God is working in the most incredible ways, I pray that that we as a church would believe that the same God that did those kind of things back then is able to do those kind of things today. That we'd look at the example that's given here with these 120 and just picture them in this upper room, 120 of them. I could almost guarantee you that there's not 120 chairs in that upper room. I can for sure guarantee you that there is no AC. When, when we went to Egypt, went to, to, to preach in this church and we had a whole team of people, some of you guys were with us there on that trip, and I'm teaching and the, the, we're in this room that is small, I mean, it's, it's and there were hundreds, Hundreds of people in this room. Uh, the, there were dozens and dozens standing behind me. People sitting on the ground all over. And it, it had to be 130 degrees in that place. I mean, we, we, the, the Americans were sweating like we had never sweat before. It was like a sauna in there. And these people were singing and praising the Lord and worshiping with all that was within them. And you picture the setting of, of, of 120 people and they're there together and in one accord, they're praying. The most important thing that they could do is pray. The most important thing they could do is be together and to talk about the things of God, to talk about doctrine and to watch God just add to them Daily. Peter stands up in verse 15. In the midst of the disciples. Altogether the number of the names was about 120. And Peter says. Men and brethren. This scripture had to be fulfilled. Which the Holy Spirit spoke before. By the mouth of David concerning Judas. Who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus for he was numbered with us and obtained a part in this ministry. It's still fresh in their minds, isn't it? The betrayal of, 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 of Jesus by Judas is fresh in their minds. You remember just weeks before they were together and Jesus saying, one of you is going to betray me. And they're saying, is it I, is it I, they don't know who it is and they find out it's Judas. Not only is, he, is it Judas, but he's done this for 30 pieces of silver. Not only that, but now he's committed suicide. He's taken his life. And there's those that could have looked upon these things and thought, well, what about Judas? Judas, we have been with him for three years. We never thought that he was gonna be the one to betray Jesus. He betrayed. There's 11 of us that are left. But Judas, what about Judas? And Peter just gets up and says, Scripture had to be fulfilled. Doesn't it sound like a different Peter than the Peter that says, I'll never deny you. The Peter that's saying to Jesus, far be it from you. You're not going to go to the cross. You're not going to do these things. He's now come to a place of, hey, Judas, with reference to Judas, this scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke before by the mouth of David concerning Judas. This was told long ago, and when God says something's going to happen, it happens. I think that it's noteworthy. When you think of some of the things that Jesus had said about Judas, in, in John 6, 64, it says, But there are some of you who do not believe, for Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who would betray him. Um, in John 6, verse 70, it says, Jesus says, Did I not choose you, the twelve, and one of you is a devil? And he spoke of Judas Iscariot, the the son of Simon, for it was he who would betray him, being one of the 12. Or in John 17, where Jesus is praying, and he says, I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you've given me, for they are yours, and all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I'm glorified in them. Now I'm no longer in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you've given me that they may be one as we are one, that they may be together, that they may be unified. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me, I have kept, and none of them is lost except the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. None of them is lost, none of them except the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. We see that same phrase coming up again. That the scripture might be fulfilled. I read that and it it blesses me. It had to bless the disciples because they're looking and saying, Jesus isn't wondering how many more are going to betray him. He's not there going like, okay, like well one bailed. I, mean, I thought I thought he was like, I thought he was in. I mean, he was the one that didn't want to spend all that money because it could have been given to the poor. I mean, I thought that he would... Man, that was a shocker. Not not at all. I mean, he's just saying like, I pray for them. I, I, I pray for them. Those whom you gave me, I've kept. None of them is lost except the son of perdition. None of them is lost except Judas. That the scripture... Might be fulfilled. Jesus knew that it was going to happen. And he knows that all that the Father's given him belong to the Father. All are mine and yours, and yours are mine, and I'm glorified in them, and that they would be kept. In verse 18, it says, Now this man purchased a field with the wages of iniquity, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his entrails gushed out. And it became known to to all those dwelling in Jerusalem, so that field is called in their own language, akeldama, that is, field of blood. We we have another account in, in the Gospel of Matthew where it says, Judas, the betrayer, seeing that he'd been condemned, was remorseful and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders saying, I've sinned by betraying innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? You see to it. And so he threw down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and he went, went and hanged himself. And the chief priest took the silver pieces and said, it is not lawful to put them in the treasury because they are the price of blood. And they consulted together and, and brought them and bought them with the potter's field to bury a stranger's in. Therefore, that field has been called the field of blood to this day. And then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, and they took the 30 pieces of silver, the value of them who was priced, whom they of the children of Israel priced and gave them for the potter's field, as the Lord had directed me. Back in Jeremiah, it said this was going to happen. There's those that look and say, well, in our text here in, in, in Acts, it tells us that, that he... He fell headlong and burst open in the middle and all his entrails gushed out. But Matthew tells us that he hung himself. There's no contradiction here. Clearly, the branch or the rope broke. And he fell. And his guts came out. What a horrific ending to Judas' life. No godly sorrow. No change of heart. He goes and he hangs himself. But Peter wants us to understand that it's being fulfilled what God said was going to happen. Judas made a decision to betray Christ. Judas made a decision to sin. Judas made a decision to flee from Christ and the calling that had been placed upon his life. He's accountable for those decisions. And yet God knew the entire time it was going to happen. Peter says, for it is written in the book of Psalms, let his dwelling place be desolate and let no one live in it and let another take his office. Therefore of these men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John to that day when he was taken up from us, one of us must become a witness with us of his resurrection. We're going to add another disciple, another apostle. We see that in Matthew chapter 19 and verse 28, Jesus says, Surely I say to you that in, in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So the the disciples are thinking, Judas is gone. We need to replace Judas with somebody else. And so they proposed two. Joseph called Barsabbas, who was surnamed Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, O Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which of these two you've chosen. To take part in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell that he might go to his own place. Notice the responsibility again. Judas by transgression fell that he might go to his own place. Now we need to replace him with one of these and they pray. God show us which one. So they cast their lots and the lot fell on Matthias. Matthias. And he was numbered with the 11 apostles. They cast lots, like dice or drawing sticks. Something that, that we don't do today and that the Lord hasn't called us to, to seek his will in, in, in such a way anymore. Um, I know that there's, there's times where you may be tempted to do that. I, I, think, I know that there's times where I was tempted to do that when I was younger. It's like, okay, God, if it's your will, then you know, make this happen. If you want me to date her, have her call me today. And and then she didn't call. And then I thought, well, that's a dumb way to find out God's will, you know. Um, Tasha finally called, and and it worked out okay. But but you know what I mean, like as far as like if, if this is your will, like you know, make this happen. Um. Let's cast lots. Let's make it decision that way let's play bible roulette and like you know put our finger down and let's see what god says in this verse um that's not the way that we're to seek god's will anymore no rochambeau that's not the way that we seek god's will anymore odd man out you don't do it that way you look in and we pray and we seek god's will through his word and through the holy spirit that's been given to us but this time I don't think they're doing anything wrong. They're following the example that's given at times in the Old Testament. Proverbs sixteen thirty three says, The lot is cast into the lab, but its every decision is from the Lord. They would cast a lot, but God was making the decision. And so we find that Matthias becomes that twelfth apostle. We don't replace them anymore contrary to some different sex. We're not to replace them anymore. But they did in Acts chapter 1. You see that at the end of of the chapter, it says, then they cast their lots, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. And everything that they were doing, it was prayerful, it was seeking the Lord, it was waiting upon him, it was calling upon him. And it was with a view of God of, Scripture must be fulfilled and he can direct the lots that are cast and he can do all of these things. They sat there together, 120 of them, praying, seeking him, waiting upon him, depending on him. I pray that for us as a church, That we'd look at the early church and look and see what they're doing. And then that we would follow their example. I don't don't know what your prayer life's like. I, I don't know whether your prayer life consists of Lord, bless this food, help us to be healthy, and thank you for this person and thank you for that person. or whether your prayer life is deeper than that, intentional, God, please work in this person's life. I plead with you to work in this person's life, change this person's heart. God, change my heart, I hate this about myself. Change my affections. Change what I go after. Change the bitterness that's there or the hardness of heart or the unforgiveness that's there. Please, God, just change that. Change the way I am with others, my family, my spouse. Change the way that, that, that I think. God, please work in that way. Make me love you more. Make our church love you more. Make us shine brightly throughout this day and throughout this week. Help our understanding of you to be so much greater that we would treasure you above everything else. Help us to understand that you're able to do these kinds of things again. You're able to, as we'll look at next time we meet, you're able to to save 3,000 people in one day. You're able to add to those who are believers daily. You're able to take this young lady's little post and, 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 and you're able to have people read that and you're able to change hearts. And I can call upon you and say, God, please do that. Please do that. Please, please have someone read that and, and have it be where they see that they're sin sinners in need of grace. Thank you that it was articulated so well and, and I just pray that you'd work mightily through that. Give us opportunities to spread the gospel daily. Pray for what's taking place on this mission trip, or pray for what's taking place in this family or pray for what's taking place in the children's ministry or with the children's leaders. And in detail, God, please do these things. We know you can do these things. Praying for missionaries overseas, even though you're not there but being a people who are wanting to gather together and be together and encourage one another together, have families over and pray with them. Knowing that God hears your prayers. Not looking to see what's normal, what's kind of the normal thing to do today. But just thinking God is here in our midst, just like he was in that upper room with 120 Just as he was with Paul and Silas as they were there in that jail. Just as the whole church was praying for Peter as he was in jail. And that God can just remove chains. That God can cause earthquakes to occur. That God can save a man and his entire household. That God can work, our God can work in the most incredible of ways. If you have failed in believing that, if you have failed to realize that God answers prayers and he has the ability to do that, now, I know, I, I would venture to say, every one of you would say, no, I know that God can do that. But in my own heart, the lack of praying for some of these things reflects really what's going on in my heart. I pray that we would be transformed as we go through this and find in the book of Acts and they prayed and they prayed and they prayed and they prayed and this is what God did. He softened that hard. He broke those chains. He accomplished this thing. 3,000 came to know Christ and prison guard came to know Christ. His entire household came to know Christ and this is what God was doing and he was adding to the church daily. Revival was occurring. 120 people of whom we are more than this morning went from that particular place and you're going to find the entire world changing. How radical is our God? And he's the God who answers prayer. We need to be people who pray like that. We have a family that has been at our church for like the last year or so. And I haven't gotten to know them as well as I would like to. But I met with somebody briefly yesterday that knew them, and I barely knew this person. And, and when I talked to that man, he said, oh, these people, they go to your church. That, that, that husband, I know him well. And he said, all I could tell you about him is he is a prayer warrior. And I just thought, what a precious gift to our church. Someone who is described by someone who knew him for decades as a prayer warrior. Warrior. May that be a description of all of us here. Prayer, warriors. And then may we give him all the glory for what he accomplishes. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord God, we, um, we prayed that, that you would give us such an urgency to speak with you, to call upon you, to depend upon you to believe that you're able and willing to change hearts, that you would give us boldness in the gospel to make a post or to talk with somebody at work or at school or in our neighborhood or within our own families. We pray that your Holy Spirit would work in such a mighty way that the gospel would go forward and that your word would not return void, Lord, that you would accomplish your purposes. Give us a love for the lost. Give us a love for the church. Help our love to abound for one another. Help us to worship you in spirit and in truth and with all that is within us. Help us to grow in our knowledge of you. And Lord God, please help there to be unity in our church a unity that's there, a love for one another, a love for you, a love for your kingdom, and not a love for the stuff of this world. That we might just just see fruitfulness here at the church. That we might be able to to fund missionaries going out. That there might be outreaches that occur. That we might minister to the homeless that are going to be here at this Christmas time. And that we might be ministering to one another. We pray, Lord, that you would work in such a way in our body, in our church, that you might be exalted. The same God who was there in that upper room whom the 120 prayed to continuously, earnestly. Lord, you're that same God who's in our midst this morning it gives us such great confidence to know the one in whom we're calling upon. Make chains fall off, Lord. Make blind people able to see. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.